the Now on the Innovation Show. It's a great honor to welcome Martin Grunberg, author of The Habit Factor, founder of The Habit Factor app, and author of Paradox. Welcome to the show, Martin. Aiden, thank you very much for the invite. It is a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man, it's, we've, we've been planning this for a while, and you, you kindly gave me enough time to read the book. I uh, haven't got onto Pressure Paradox yet, but, I mean, ju- just reading the book, um, it's the most, it's so holistic in that all you've captured, and you, you've obviously encapsulated so much knowledge that you've picked up over time because it covers every aspect of habits, but I, I, one of the things I find really interesting is is the accompanying app. So the app that you released back in 2009, so shortly after, two years after the iPhone launched, you were so far ahead of the game in that model of wanting to help people actually achieve their goals quicker, and, and that's your ultimate goal. But before we even go near all, the, all that, it'd be great to hear how you got to the book in the first place. Yeah, well, I think everything has has a beginning. And, and for me, Aiden, um, and this is a part of the reason I wanted to be on your show and share this with your audience, it, I've become a big believer of that our weaknesses can become our strengths or great strengths. And, and certainly I didn't know that, I don't know, 15 plus years ago. But one of the things that I struggled most with um, was goal achievement. I I fell into this horrible cycle. I'd set goals and then life would happen. And then a year or two later, really no progress. I would, I would begin, I would get myself excited and then (laughs) nothing significant would happen. Um, in until one day it took a bit of an existential crisis. I just turned 35. I gave myself this one question, what, if you were to die tomorrow, what would you most regret not achieving or experiencing? And it was that question that kind of launched, it was the catalyst ultimately for the habit factor. Because what I did was, I, <laughs> I, even though I didn't own a paddleboard and I'd never paddled in any race, the thing that came to the top of the list, Aiden, was a paddling event, a 32-mile across the uh, channel here from from basically Los Angeles to Catalina. And you start in Catalina and you paddle across. So it's 32 miles. And growing up, I had always heard about this. And there I was, 35, going, if you don't commit now, you're really never going to do this. And... It was that commitment. I signed up and then I had to figure it out. And and out of that experience came this much more simple process, um, which I was able to look back in hindsight and realize it had very little to do with a to-do list and a lot more to do with just being consistent and developing supportive habits. So really, that was the origination for all of this, the book, the app, et cetera. You know when people make goals, whether it's corporate or personal, and then they don't have the discipline or the habit to follow up that goal. And I, I remember this great story where this guy keeps praying to God. And he's like, God, I want to win the, the lotto. I want to win the lotto. I want to win the lottery. And then God appears to him one day and he's there. Okay, you want to win the lottery? 
do me a favor, buy a ticket. Right. It, it really resonated with me because it's exactly this. It's exactly not following up. You got to, once you set the goal, you got to do the work. And, and, and it's, I, I just think it's such a great book as, as a spark, as a kick up the backside to go, go and do it. And here's a way to do it. And here's a way to understand and deconstruct habits so you can actually form them in the right direction. Yeah. Th- for me, so, and I probably didn't articulate it completely, and this is a part of the innovation that might fit with your audience. So today, <clears throat> even though the app's been around for seven plus years, you can still kind of Google best methodology for goals and something called smart goals comes up and it references specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time bound. And I was very familiar with uh, smart goals. Um, but if you go through that process, what you end up with is a to-do list. So if my goal were to run a marathon and it was specific and measurable and attainable and relevant and time-bound, I would still get a to-do list at the end of that, Aiden, that said, buy shoes, buy shorts, call a trainer, sign up. And you know, for more complicated goals, that to-do list could be hundreds of steps and the crazy thing about a to-do list is tomorrow you have a brand new one. And what the habit factor method actually says, and the reason it's it's had a lot of traction and success is it says, forget about, just take your goal, as you just said, deconstruct it and ask yourself, what are the three to five essential reoccurring behaviors, habits, that will help you achieve the goal. So so let's take the marathon example. Well, rather than call the trainer, buy shoes, register, I have drink water, <laughs> right? And I'm going to do that Monday, Tuesday. I'm going to just do that every day of the week. I'm going to make sure I drink X glasses of water. And then the next habit to focus on is run. And because I've never run before, I'm just going to shoot for you know, and this is just an example, three times a week, 20 minutes. But the beauty of working from a habit list, following this habit factor methodology is, is that just shows up for you every day. You're not, you're not reconstructing a to-do list and you're not, the the things like signing up and calling the trainer, those are probably going to happen anyways. What, what I have found from my experience is to focus on the core recurring behavior and track that so you set up the target three times a week 20 minutes you track it and then the next week you do the same and the ideal is you track that Aiden for four weeks and then you raise the bar so so maybe you know on the fifth week it's four times a week I'm going to run for 30 minutes and you can see how that habit strength is increasing carrying you toward ultimately completing this goal one of the things martin i'll I'll jump to is a quote by william james talking to teachers in harvard in 1892 and oh man this is a great quote our virtues are as much as our vices our habits our lives are but a mass of habits bearing us irresistibly towards our destiny and i just thought that is that nails it our lives are but a mass of our habits because we are our habits. We are, because we're born with this tabula rasa, which is this blank slate. 
and uh, and then we we it's almost like our parents or our mentors our teachers have this massive responsibility of inputting an operating system into us and that is such a, a resp- it's, it's such an important part of our lives but also on our side then when we're older and we can control that we need to realize that that we we need we are these habits and we need to actually be aware of what they are and improve them there's a few things there and i i couldn't agree more of course but the what i found absolutely fascinating as i went to research uh and i did years of research the um the latin root you know it's interesting that you're bringing up this idea of character the latin root of habit is habit habitus right and it means condition or character so i almost got chills when i first saw that because what that said to me at least was my existence at this moment my character was the sum total of all my thought habits and all my behavior habits to this point that's what makes up my character that's why it's the your character or your condition how you are at this moment um so when you talk about tabla rasa that's where we begin but as we sit here now speaking and as the listener sits driving or doing whatever they're doing you know it's it's fairly simple to just reverse engineer that statement and say is this true am i Am I the sum total of all my thought habits and behavior habits? And I have yet, probably speaking to thousands of people now over many years, have anybody say that's uh, not an accurate observation. <laughs> and it's not mine. I mean, I'm just saying that's their the Latin definition. I, I talked to my son about this. My son, Josh, is turned, just turned seven. And um, sometimes he'll go in to wash his hands. And I know he's not washing his hands. Like he'll literally turn on the tap and 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 not wash his hands and come out just because he doesn't like doing. It. But uh, I I told him this quote that really, really helped me with my rugby career, which is character is what you do when no one's looking. I like so it it's and that you know habitus. When I read habitus, I was like that is that's why character is such an important part of of your character because. What you do when nobody's looking, A, it means two things now after I've read the book. What I meant for that, what I initially took from that was character is when I'm in the gym on my own lifting or when I'm doing my, when I'm doing my fitness and I don't cut corners and I'm not, I'm not cutting the corners because I'm cheating. I'm actually not cutting the corners because I'm doing it for me. You know, I'm not doing it for a coach or I'm not doing it for anybody else. I'm doing it for me. It's an internally motivation internally motivated i'm reason i'm doing it but then when i read the book i was like well character is also what people see in you in that it's if your collection of your habits if you and i'm going down to basic habits words you use quips you have the way you write all those things and that's why that william james quote really resonated was your collection of that and that's that's the way the world see you and once you're aware you can deconstruct and you can rebuild. And that's the key thing. So you can break them once you know they're there. Amen. Yeah, it it gets confusing. Uh, certainly was for me and a lot of people at first because, first of all, we, we bring this baggage to the table, which has to do with the negative connotation of habit. And the reason that in many ways this was 
you know, I'm using air quotes, a breakthrough is incredibly there, you know, some top PhDs doing studies, of course, none of which I am, but doing studies on goal theory and never mentioning or considering the word habit. And it's not because they're not smart. It's because at least in our society, habit has a predominantly negative connotation, smoking, drinking, drugs. And if you, how could anybody correlate habit to goal achievement if uh, you're thinking in terms of, you know, the negatives? But let me jump over now to William James, because I'm so glad you brought that up. William James was First of all, he's known as the the father of modern psychology, and he would tour the campus of Harvard back in like 1892. I You probably have the date in front of you. I don't, but he would give these talks, and one of the most famous ones was something called, um, well, it was Habit, but, but the, the series was called Talks to Teachers, and he would implore teachers to, because if you go back on that quote, Aiden, you'll see this one part where he he tries to explain to them somewhat what I was just saying, that we got to stop thinking of habit in terms of negative. So if you read back a little further, you'll see he's, he says it's not just, I think he even uses the word, we predominantly think X, but but it's not just negative habits. The, the, the thing that helped me the most was realizing it's not good or bad. It's neutral. It doesn't care about us. It's a force. And it's in some ways, it's almost like Star Wars. It's, it's, you can use the force to your, to your favor, or you can let the force kind of work without your awareness and and lead you wherever it goes. So you have the option and the ability to take control and guide that force. And that's what the app is designed to do. But I knew really this was a case where an app wouldn't be enough because there had to be the explanation and a book wouldn't be enough because frankly, I'm fairly wary of all the self-help books. And, and if I was going to do a I don't even necessarily, I mean, self-help is okay. I like personal development, but the point is if I was going to do a personal development book, it had to be different. There had to be a, a process or a methodology to practice the ideas in the book. And so that's how these complemented each other. Puts huge onus and responsibility on us as parents, as mentors, but also as businessmen and coaches, uh, uh, businessmen and CEOs, because we basically set the habit for the world for, for the business and and i thought you know this is something i'm, I'm going to write a blog on before the, before the show is corporate habits are actually the responsibility of the leader and people say that businesses are but a shadow of the leader yeah i you know there's a a quote i have no idea who said it but anything that changes your values changes your behaviors. And I think for the most part, that's true. And, and so what, what you said is, is very appropriate. Business leaders are asked at times, or, or at least the leadership of a company, to define what, what the company stands for. What do they value? Who are they? 
And out of those values, you can then do things like hire the right people that will fit the culture. So it's not just some words on a wall. The idea is values direct and guide behavior. If we value, this is a cliche, but if you value integrity and somebody in the company does the wrong thing, that's obviously a mismatch, right? In the book, you talk about this where in an interview, it becomes really important to go, like, I love this. Oh, man, I love this. You, you nailed this. It's like, so people ask all these questions about the type of people they want, but they don't really deconstruct and go, okay, well, what's the DNA of the type of person I want? And then you go, what are your five habits that makes you the type of person we want to we want to hire? Because that, that becomes key. If you actually, it's almost like a framework. If you actually go, this is the type of habits of type of people. And it's like constant learners. It's like, uh, you know, cheerful, all those kind of things, be- because they are actually habits, those things, if you think about them that way. Am I right? Yeah, no, I love it. You know, first of all, I've done dozens of interviews, and, and uh, you're the first guy to key on that. And and in some ways, to me, it's it's a great hiring hack, and it's totally <laughs> legal for business leaders listening. The The idea is... The idea simply is we're we're looking for the character of the person. So, yeah, I'm cheating a little because I know character is tied to habit. So what's fascinating to me is some people in the interview process just absolutely give me a dead stare because they're caught off guard just by the idea of, you know, tell me your five best habits. And they just kind of like tilt their head and what? <laughs> like good habits? What does that mean? So, and I'm not trying to pick on them. The The idea is if you can, as you said, deconstruct, identify the habits, then you understand the values. Because a lot of times people say, well, what, give me your top values. And people will just spit out the classic cliched values. However, if I say, give me your, give me your uh, top three habits, and the guy says, well, or the gal. I, you know, I like to read to my kids at night. Um, I make sure I eat an apple a day. I have to work out three times a week. To me, I know their values are health, diet and exercise, and and kids and responsibility. And and like I said, so that's just a special hack <laughs> that I use. And then I say, what what are you know a few negative habits? And you know, if the person says. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to pick on smokers, but the idea is you can quickly identify the character of the person. In the States here, they do, you know, PSA, public service announcements, and maybe it's our discussion about smoking, but um, what they keyed on, they're trying to get people to stop smoking. And it's very interesting. It's the first one I saw. It was targeted to military service personnel who tend to smoke a lot. And the guy's message, I just saw this last night and it stuck in my head. His message was, A, I got cancer. And B, it's hard to run to protect people in battle when you can't breathe. This was a brilliant commercial because it it did exactly what we were talking about. If you can change a person's values or at least make them aware of them, 
then it directs and guides their behavior. So this commercial I thought was brilliant because it was saying indirectly, hey, soldier, um, and it wasn't totally indirect because there was a soldier saying, look, I, it, I couldn't run, I couldn't save people, I couldn't support my troops because I had lung cancer. And it makes, I think, all soldiers who see it, question their values. All of a sudden, if if the highest value you have is protecting and serving your country, now maybe you're going to start to rethink the decision and the behavior of smoking. I'd love to jump to this, Martin, because if you look holistically, if I'm trying to build a corporation and I'm aware as a CEO or a leader, a business leader of habits from a culture perspective, Stuff like you talk about this, certain aspects trigger habits like smell, songs, certain things happening. So, so external triggers essentially, or internal triggers. But if, if habits can be triggered by things like external things, like, you know, visuals, pictures, photos. And, and I mentioned actually that, that quote I talked about where characters, what you do when no one's looking, I saw that first in the gym. And every time I saw it in the gym, it made me go, okay, I'm not going to cheat myself. And, and it, when I read the book, that reminded me of that poster on the wall because it was like, well, that makes the environment in which you work really important. When you think about companies, um, companies set goals. And the ones that instill really the best habits are the ones that tend to achieve their goals, the supportive habits of their goals. So, you know, pick a company. But, I mean, what what does McDonald's do so well? They automate everything. So these guys uh, and gals operate almost, you know, uh, robotically, right? And they're doing it second nature because they know where the buns are, they know where the meat is, they know where this is, and they – they have a checklist and they have a routine, which is a routine just means a series of habits. They institute habits that serves their corporate goals. But then they have to sustain that because you see oftentimes with companies and they'll go on these, um, I call them forced fun days because uh, back in back in the Ruby days, we used to go on these weekends and uh, would be sent off on this kind of water park or some type of adventure, adventure day out for every summer so it was before it was coming into a new season it's like oh let's do something fun to bring the guys together and you see it with companies all the time so in a way reading the book again triggered that with me it was like okay well if if your environment is supposed to be this place that that is supposed to be constant reminder of who you are so your vision or your mission statement or your north star of what your company stands for it needs to be done in permanence because again coming back to the book and the app accompanying app they're there they're there to constantly remind you and constantly trigger this ongoing thing and when i when i read um an element you had in the book about maxwell maltz and the amputees self-image i i i think that was really really um really important piece of the whole pie because it showed that you know it takes a while to either break a habit or create a habit so the the story behind the the book Psycho Cybernetics, which is a bit of a mouthful, but the gist was he would 
he would perform plastic surgery on people and um, a lot of times they would have facial deformities. Some would be significant. Many would be uh, insignificant in his opinion. Unfortunately, it, he, he, what he realized is it didn't matter what he thought. So he would try to dissuade some of these patients. And one in particular, he, he said, he convinced the guy, basically, look, I want you to go through and, and not have the surgery. And for 21 days, I want you to affirm, you know, this thought where it's all in my head. I think it was a nose job and, and nobody's really looking. And, and the specifics don't matter so much. It was just this idea that there was a perceived um, deformity and it was overblown in his self-concept, in his mind. And the affirmations Dr. Maltz would give him, if the guy, he assured him if he would just reaffirm that every day for 21 days, you would ultimately end up finding it was a non-issue, meaning it wasn't then affecting his career, and he didn't ultimately need surgery. So here was a surgeon doing what was right for his patient, but more importantly, he was trying to demonstrate and prove that we can rewire our thinking. And so he he actually began this 21-day habit myth. A lot of it was tied to um, amputees who had this phantom feeling and it would take them, I guess, just over 21 days before they realized that their limb was actually gone and that feeling went away, the sensation of the limb. So that began, Aiden, this 21-day myth, but, but really... Um, 21 days is only the beginning of habit development, and it takes far more than 21 days, and there are various other uh, variables that contribute to habit development. So that's habit reversal, essentially, but one of the best ways to do it is if you have that habit and you're reversing it, is to replace it with an, another habit, a, a good one. So one that's actually a positive one, and as you talked about the dark side and the light side, you're kind of going, I'm going to go with the force here, the good side of things, and actually replace the bad one, because you have this gap, I suppose, this opportunity to go, okay, I'm going to take that out and I'm going to put this in and build, rebuild again. That's correct. So it's the old nature abhors a vacuum, and and there's a great, very, very old quote that, uh, you know, habit is replaced by habit like a nail is replaced by a nail. You, the failure with a lot of people is they just try to um, stop doing something rather than replace it, starting to do something else. So one great example is a buddy who wanted to drink a lot less alcohol. Rather than stop drinking, he just drinks non-alcoholic beverages. So he gets all the effects, you know, of socializing and holding a drink and drinking. Everything's there except for the alcohol. And it's a it's a, an idea of substitution rather than elimination. That actually segues nice with this piece because 
I suppose I, I loved this one as well, where you talked about habits under stress. So you talked about like oranges and chocolate under stress. People will go for the nasty habit because because the stress element actually adds this element of of um, I need something to actually fill this gap for me in a negative way. Yeah. So what what happens is. And this time brings us in some ways full circle back to willpower and tabla rasa. And, you know, there are no, there are no babies with willpower, um, born with willpower. So that's, that's a, you know, I should say discipline, no disciplined babies. And, and willpower is this varying. So there's discipline, I should separate. And then there's willpower. Willpower is kind of in the moment. And discipline is something you develop over time. It's it's a habit, ultimately. So that's why I'm saying there are no disciplined babies. Well, under pressure, under stress, if there aren't supportive foundational habits in place, our willpower wanes and we go into default mode. Now, the great news is if you have – if your default mode are, is – slash are good habits, then you're you're set. But if you haven't established those good habits, so if I have the habit of, just as an example, eating a salad every other night, um, even under stress, I'm still going to eat that salad because I'm just wired that way. Like I like the greens, I like the tomatoes. I'm not going to just reach for cake. But if it's a brand new habit I'm trying to develop and I'm only a week into tracking and I'm under stress, like screw the salad, give me the cake. So, so yeah, willpower will wane, which is why habit becomes even more important when you look at things like stress and pressure and how they influence, you know, another good example, since you're a, uh, a great athlete is if you have, did you happen to see the Super Bowl? Uh, not this year, man. No, no. No? No, man. No. Oh, dude. All right. We'll talk about that later. So the, the point is, under immense uh, stress and pressure, you know, the clock's ticking down, which, what team is the one that, you know, kind of rises above under pressure and stress? It's the one. It's the one, of course, that has – the habits, the fundamentals in place, right? They're not breaking down. They don't have to rely on any magical moment or willpower. What what they have is the foundational habits in place. So in the Super Bowl, the reason I ask is, and you probably heard, but you know, at one point the New England Patriots were down by 21 points. Nobody's ever come back with a 10-point deficit in the Super Bowl. And then they went to overtime. And, it, you know, in three minutes, they scored 16 points or something incredible. And and the Patriots are just known to be fundamentally sound and have great habits. It's a lovely way to top off this interview, Martin, because it brings me full circle because I, I, see, this, I see this very little delineation between corporate habits sports habits personal habits and that beautiful one of of the super bowl and the patriots is like ultimately you want your your team the people you've had you've hired and we talked about the hiring questions the five, what's your five habits because if you tie them all together and you go okay 
when the going gets tough, which it does in business, especially if you're growing, if you're in the middle of your kind of growth curve, things are easy enough, but they should never be too easy. You should always be putting yourself under pressure. You should always be stretching your goals, etc. But when, when the going gets tough, the people who have those habits, they default to the salad, not the chocolate pudding. Those type of people who character is what they do when no one's looking because they've built they've built up the willpower power like willpower is a muscle you've built it up you you've you've you, all those things holistically that's when business succeeds because everybody's pointed in the same direction and you just nail it and success comes yeah the discipline you can rely on the discipline of the moment and not willpower because you've built it over, you know, months and years and decades. And that's what, um, that is what contributes and constitutes our character habit. So, yeah, I like the way you button that up, but it, it, it all, it, habit, <laughs> habit intersects, um, every, factor if you will every facet of our lives so it's our character it it helps us achieve goals it it's determines whether our uh you know our sports team wins or loses and our company wins and loses it's it's all the above you you know the one the great little i guess parable about the two uh goldfish swimming no man, I haven't heard that one. No, no, hit me. No, hit me. All right, let's see if I can. Let's see if I can get this straight. So two fish are swimming past an older, wiser fish, and and as they swim past, the the elderly fish says, "Morning, boys. How's the water?" And the <laughs> two fish just keep swimming, and one looks to the other and says, "Water? What the hell is water?" <laughs> what the hell is water and that's what we're swimming in right habit what the hell is habit (laughs) brilliant it's a fantastic book i highly recommend it the habit factor martin grunberg it's on amazon your amazon page as well the pressure paradox is there and the app is on android and ios in the app store anywhere anywhere else people can find you martin no, that's good. Twitter, the Habit Factor, and and there's a free version, Android and iOS. And the second thing is, um, there is a free template, which is at thehabitfactor.com forward slash templates, which is what the app was before it was ever an app. So in order to do that paddling event, I worked from a very similar uh, template, a spreadsheet, and I just use that. I know some people don't even have smartphones at this point or they don't want to use them. I actually prefer the the paper template because I just tape it to my desk and it and it uh, you know with the phone, there's so many other things going on. so so when it's a really serious goal, I use this template and and the whole point of all this is it's all free. nobody's selling anything here, Aiden. and thank you um, for the invite again. That was fun. Absolute pleasure, man, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. I'm sure we'll have you back on. I'll read uh, Pressure Paradox. It might be a few months, but uh, we'd love to have you back on the show. Martin Grunberg, absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you, and, you know, the Pressure Paradox for you may even be, dare I say, better just because it's, it's about 
performing under pressure and productivity and even peace of mind and and how pressure relates to all of those. So I look forward to it. Thank you again, Aiden. Likewise, man. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Bye.